This is Wildcat Country. It's only right. The ball's in his hands. A milestone victory for Arizona. Simon Says Championship. All the inside scoop on U of A athletics. Welcome to another edition of Wildcat Country, Eric Cohen and Shane Dale, and it's August, and that means football is almost back. We are, uh, I think, three and a half weeks away from game one in Las Vegas against BYU, and now we have something to talk about as uh, fall practice has begun and the Jedfish era is in full swing. And Shane, we have a great guest to talk uh, with tonight, and it's not necessarily related to the 2021 season, but it's... We're going to talk with Adam Gorney, who's the National Recruiting Director for Rivals and Yahoo Sports. We're going to talk about Jed Fish's progress for 2022 and a big commitment on the horizon. But before we go anywhere, Shane, let's talk a little bit about spring practice. There are, I think, four or five practices in by the time we are recording this podcast. And the biggest question that I have, and and I, I would assume most Wildcat fans have, is the quarterback play. And thus far, no one has separated themselves from the pack, and that is very concerning. I don't know if it's concerning, and but I, I think that even if no one has separated themselves from the pack, Jedfish playing it off like that. I'm not saying he's making it up, but you know he, he wants to get the best out of those guys, and and uh, I I wouldn't be shocked if there wasn't a lot of separation. You know, I think Jordan McLeod and and Gunner Cruz are both pretty equal, even though they have much different uh, playing styles. And Will Plummer does have some experience. You have to throw him in the mix as well. Um, but yeah, not a lot of separation in that position from what we've been uh, been told. Uh, same thing with the running back position as far as who's the the, the top of the depth chart there, uh, which I think in this case is a good problem between uh, Michael Wiley, Drake Anderson, and uh, freshman Stevie Rocker, who we've had on this program a couple times. Uh, Jalen John is another one. Mix. Yep, yep, yep. So there's plenty of depth there, like we talked about. But Jetfish singled out those three guys, and then uh, Booby Curry, Tavion Cunningham have looked sharp so far. I mean, it, it's all we can do is overreact to everything right now, right? Because all we have are guys playing against each other and seven on seven drills and all that. But uh, it, a couple of big takeaways so far is uh, you know beyond just what we've seen on the on the field. Uh, Want to mention Brooks Reed and Earl Mitchell. Uh, going into the Ring of Honor, uh, you know, and I got a chance to talk to Brooks Reed. It's funny because I tried to talk to him when um, he's with the Cardinals, and then when I was at ABC 15, I was toward him in my time there. He's such a soft-spoken guy, and it's funny how guys like him are just such beasts on the field. Scooby Wright's kind of the same way, and he's such a soft-spoken guy off of it. And I'll, I'll never forget the end of that Iowa game where uh, he and, uh, and that defensive line just wreaked havoc and, and got four sacks in a row, to, three that counted. I think there was a false start in there that no one could hear because it was so loud at that stadium. Uh, but at the end of that game, it, it was the, really the last time that, that Arizona had a, a defensive front that was feared. So uh, very deserving of that honor and uh, excited for those guys. And, um, and hopefully they'll have some, have some wins to, to talk about this season as well when they make their return back to Tucson. Yeah, and I think one thing that you brought up, Shane, that's a great point is the the fan support. I mean, to, to be in, we remember what Arizona Stadium was like when it was loud, and I mean, when you can't hear yourself think. And when's the last game that we can really think of where that came to mind where it was like that? I, I'd have to go back a long time, and and I, you know, even the ASU game in 2014, the the, the students weren't there because it was over Thanksgiving. 
So where, when was that last game? Was it the, I, I want to say Rich Rod's first year was at Oklahoma State, might have been one where they played Oklahoma State, and I think it was Rich Rod's second game. I, well, I can't I, I remember. Think the, the, I think the 2014 game against ASU was still special, though. I mean, there, there were a lot of students still sure. there, and, and it, it was it, it was very – like Scooby Wright told us when um, when he returned that that fumble for a touchdown at the, the beginning of that game, uh, it was the loudest he'd ever heard that stadium. You know, and he, he just – like he had – he had to, I think, set the next couple of plays out or something like that because he's just like his blood pressure was just going so so fast. But uh, it, it's Arizona Stadium can get very loud. We've heard it before, and so hopefully we'll we'll experience that again. But I, that, that Iowa game, yeah, I remember just it was just cathartic moment, one sack after another to end the game. So it was a special moment. My nephew and I went to that game. Um, hopefully we'll have that again. I don't think it's going to happen as soon as this season, but uh, it, it, it could be uh, – I, I predict that the attendance, at least at the beginning of the season, will be better than expected. Uh, if you're thinking, you know, under 40,000, I think we'll get under – or above 40,000 probably, uh, at least at the beginning of the season. Well, let's see, because the BYU game, uh, you know, in Vegas, if Arizona is competitive going into the fourth quarter, people are going to show up to see what, what Jed Fish does on September 11th of all days against San Diego State. Uh, I think, yep. you know, you're looking at a 45 to 50,000, uh, probably 45,000 uh, if Arizona is competitive against BYU. And I think that will make for a fairly loud stadium. And one thing to remember, Shane, is that Iowa game, as loud as it was, the stadium was not closed off at that point. So it, it was the, uh, the north end zone was wide open. Now it, the stadium has the potential to be even louder because it's fully enclosed. So we're going to have some time. You know, I, I made a bet with a friend uh, the, other, the other week when I was in San Diego. And, and a friend of mine used to play quarterback in the early 80s for USC. And I said, I will bet you a, a certain amount of money that Arizona will beat USC with Jed Fish's head coach. And I gave it four years to happen. Do you think I made a good bet or a bad bet, considering Arizona has not beaten the Trojans since Rich Rod's first year in 2012? Yeah, I was going to say it was his first in, uh, first year. That was the only year that they beat him. Um, no, I mean they they weren't good last year. They they came within uh, like literally some fingertips away from from beating him last yep. year. I know that maybe that was a bit of an outlier. It was a weird season. It was the first game for him. So, and I I I can see that. I can see that. I I think that that Arizona could, could pull off. I mean they've come close times over the years as well. So, uh, you've made worse bets, Eric. I'll just leave it at that. That, that is true. Uh, now, let me, let me say this, yeah. Shane. I want to say that the last time Arizona beat USC, I don't know if you remember this, the next week we had a home game, and I don't remember what it was. I went in the bookstore on campus, and they were selling T-shirts that Arizona beat USC. And at that point, I said a few choice words, which I will not repeat on the podcast. You don't need to make shirts when you beat a team that I'm not even sure if USC was top 10 at the time. To, to make shirts of beating a Pac-12 opponent – in a in in a in a regular season game that's not ASU, I'm not sure how I feel about that. I hope that never happens again. Yeah, that's not great, but you have to capitalize, I guess, on successes. I remember um, after the 2016 season, uh, they Arizona's marketing strategy going into the next year to get people to buy tickets was we won the territorial cup because that was the only Pac-12 game they won. They they even gave out the little mini territorial cups to uh, mm -hmm. to season ticket holders. So I have one. Uh, yep. So yeah, I'm sure you do. So I actually I think I I uh, was given one by by a friend, but uh, but anyway, yeah. It, it, 
it, it's it's like fans don't rush the court at McHale Center, right? Because you expect to win the big games. We'll get there mm-hmm. eventually uh, under Jed Fish, if given time. Hopefully, if he continues in the right direction as far as recruiting. I know we're going to talk about that with Adam Gorney. Uh, the big one coming up, obviously, is a guy they call T-Mac, and I'm thankful we can call him that because I have a, ho- a horrible time pronouncing his his name, uh, Tedaroya McMillan. Who I, I'm sure I just butchered it again. I do love what he said about Arizona. Because uh, it, it looks like that commitment, uh, five star, four star, five star wide receiver, depending on who you're looking at. Uh, what he said about Arizona, and it sounds like Arizona, USC, and Oregon are his final choices. And he's going to make that decision here in just a few days. Uh, he said about Arizona, "quote Everybody wants to be on a winning team, but the ultimate goal is to is to get to the NFL." And I'm very confident that Arizona can get me there. Uh, it's kind of a catch twenty two in college sports. You know, some of the top guys don't want to, don't won't come unless you win, but it's hard to win unless you get some of the top guys. So how do you get around that? You put together an experienced staff with a proven track record of success at the college level and at the NFL level, and who are able to best prepare these guys for the NFL level. You know, Jedfish has done that, and let's remember, he was given the money to do it. You know, he had more money to spend on assistance compared to his predecessor, a guy like Don Brown, for example. Might not be in Tucson right now without that luxury. And Jet Fish himself has NFL experience. You know, Jordan McLeod mentioned the other day uh, during his uh, post-practice press conference that one of the reasons he came to Arizona was because of the quarterbacks that uh, Fish has coached, including Jed Goff uh, with the Rams. J- or sorry, J- Jared Goff. Jed Fish, Jared Goff. Uh, so that NFL experience matters. And Fish was very smart to assemble his staff to reflect that. So regardless of what T-Mac decides – the fact that Arizona is in such a heavy mix for his services, this late in decision-making pro, uh, process for him, and this early in Jed Fish's tenure after 12 straight losses for this program, it's a very good sign, and it's already validated Arizona's decision to allocate more money uh, to assistant coaches. Completely agree. And, you know, one thing I, I want to point out that I think is very interesting, and, and you and I talked about this off-air last week, we got a got a tip from uh, Lamont Lovett who reminded uh, uh, me of this, and it was that Arizona, the Jedfish is going to call plays. You know, we have thought, well, Brennan Carroll, he's the offensive coordinator. Jedfish is going to call plays, and with Jed's pedigree uh, in the NFL and college football, I mean, remember we talked to Wilton Spate months ago. Uh, he had yeah. uh, Jim Harbaugh had his most success on offense with Jedfish calling plays at the University of Miami, uh, UCLA. I mean, Fish has been uh, all over the place, but I trust this guy to call plays. And I, I think he is going to get the best out of the talent that he has. I, and we're, I'm going to bring this up to Adam Gorney. I don't believe that Arizona's 2022 opening day starting quarterback is currently on the roster. Uh, and, and I hope I'm wrong about that. And I hope that either, you know, Gunnar Cruz or Jordan McLeod proves me wrong. Or, or hey, maybe Noah Fafita will ask... Adam, about that as well. Maybe he's ready to come in and start day one, even though his size might be a, a factor in some eyes. I just, I am not confident in this quarterback play. And I think that is the one area that might hold Arizona back early in the season as we go along. And I'm really, really concerned about it, Shane. I, I think, you know, coming out against BYU, I, I'm not expecting to see good quarterback play at all. Uh, we're going to need the defense to, to hold uh, BYU's, you know, rebuilt offense, no Zach Wilson uh, in check because Arizona's not going to win a shootout. You know, of all, all the people that I just thought of, uh, Manny Wilkins came to mind because I did an interview with him um, over Skype after he uh, went to the Packers. We did a little story for him at, uh, about him at ABC 15, taking the next step, going to, to Green Bay and 
and he met, I asked him, did you give Jaden Daniels any advice? Cause that was his successor at, Air, at ASU. And he said, one of the big things is the check down is your friend. Like, don't be afraid to let your playmakers make the big plays. And so I think Arizona has enough big playmakers to where if you have a quarterback who's smart enough to dump the ball off, to check the ball down to, to right. They have tailbacks who can catch the ball to receivers who can make plays in space. They don't have to do everything. Uh, and I think that's going to be important too when you have an offensive line that that's very, very questionable as well. So I, I'm i not sure if I agree with you about 2022. I just, I, because I just don't have enough information. Jordan McLeod could be great or Gunnar Cruz could be great. We just don't know. But I understand your uh, your point. And I, I'm, I'm interested to see how they do. But I hope that neither of them, whoever the starting quarterback is, decide, is not, doesn't want to do too much and is able to, to have enough intelligence and humility to let their playmakers uh, make big plays. I want to mention something else that Jetfish said. I think we're going to disagree on this, Eric. He talked about simplifying the uniform combinations, and he likes the idea, uh, He specifically said, of wearing players wearing the same helmet each week, uh, which is a big tra- uh, trade-off from uh, or, or difference between uh, this year or this coming season and previous years where they have a bunch of different helmet and uniform combinations, which has become more popular in college uh, football. That kind of surprised me, that attitude from Jetfish, because all the different uniforms and helmet combos seem to be one of the things that kids love. But on the flip side of that, you think about the teams that are typically the best in college football year in and year out. Alabama, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Clemson, Notre Dame. They don't do a bunch of different uniform combos. They don't have to. They win football games and help guys get to the next level. And those things are infinitely more important than a million different uniform combos. So I'm, I'm kind of surprised because I figured Jetfish would go that direction, wanting to entice players with a bunch of different shirt and, pat, and pants and helmet combos. But I think it makes a lot of sense for him to not go that direction. And I think it's kind of nice because he, does, he doesn't feel like this program has to depend on those kinds of gimmicks, like a we just beat USC shirt, like you kind of alluded to earlier, in order to bring top guys into the program. All right. So first of all, let me just say this, Shane. I love the classic uniform combos uh, yep. with you know, that they went back to the the '90s Desert Swarm, for example. I love that. I, that's the best look. The gradient uniforms of the last few years were were terrible, but I love the red. I love the red uniforms. I love the red helmets. I mean, you look at the all red combo that Arizona wore. Uh, I believe it was against ASU in 2014, but I don't remember their first game that they did it. I know I was very excited. I think it was against USC at some point. I know they wore them all reds against USC in, in 2012 as well. But I love that. I wish the red pants and the red jerseys stayed in play. And I guess we'll find out about that. I don't mind the white helmets, but I, I, I did love the red jerseys. And I, I, I like blue, but I love wearing red to the games. I mean, I'm wearing red right now. I, I love wearing that. Yeah. It was fun to wear. You know, I always chose when I'm going to the home games, I'm going to wear the color shirt, polo shirt, or whatever shirt, polo or t-shirt, of the of the jersey that they're wearing, I like wearing red over blue. I just just my choice. I would be disappointed if those red jerseys were phased out. I mean, listen, these are way better than than the alternative. I mean, these these jerseys the last few years, whoever came up with them must have been drunk. They were terrible. Uh, some of the worst jerseys I, I in all Arizona sports that I've ever seen. But so there's an improvement there. Just keep red around, Jed. That's all I can ask. I, I, I agree with you to that point. I, I think we should, 
I like having some of the different combos. You know, I got a couple different helmets in the background here. If you're watching on, on YouTube or Twitter or wherever. Uh, and I've got a couple more in my closet that I, I'd like to pull out, be able to pull out again. So I'm, I'm with you on that. But you, th you also think about where Jedfish is coached. Obviously, in the NFL, you don't have a bunch of different uniform combos. You think about a lot of the schools where he's been to, they, don't, they haven't had him either. So I think he's kind of a traditionalist in that regard. And again, I like the idea that you don't have to necessarily change things up every week to try to get fans excited because, frankly, it hasn't worked for Arizona either. You know, the, no. you, you, you win football games, that gets fans excited. Then you win and, and help guys get to the next level, that gets the players excited. So as long as he has that, I'm fine. I agree with you, though. I prefer the I prefer the red. I, I hope that we have another uh, – I'd love to have another red out again at some point. But I, I also okay with the idea of simplifying the uniforms, especially now that we have the, the old Desert uh, Swarm look back in the mix. Well, we will talk uh, throughout the month of August more about training camp and what to expect before game one of the uh, of the 2021 season against BYU. But now let's talk to Adam Gorney from uh, Rivals and Yahoo Sports about what the future looks like for Arizona football here on Wildcat Country. We're very excited to have for the second time on Wildcat Country, Adam Gorney, who is the National Recruiting Director for Rivals and Yahoo Sports. Join us to talk everything Arizona football recruiting and Adam, su surprisingly, Arizona is ranked number 41 uh, in the 2022 class as of right now. And to me, that's a shocker, uh, considering Jed Fish hasn't coached a game. How surprised are you at Fish's recruiting efforts thus far before he's even, you know, before the, they have even played a game this year? Yeah, I think a, a few things stand out. One, he's been very aggressive. He's gone after a lot of guys. He's been active on social media. He has his assistants going out after people. I think all of those things help. June definitely helped getting people onto campus finally, showing them around, showing him his vision, showing that he's has so much experience at every level. Um, all of those things definitely help. And just bringing back excitement to Arizona football. And for you guys who cover it super, super closely, I see it from afar. You know, there was a little stale for a, a while there with Kevin Sumlin. Uh, it just wasn't going in the right direction. He couldn't get players to come uh, to play for him. So I think now with Jed Fish there, that has definitely changed. There's excitement around the program again. You see some of the kids committing in the last few months. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of talented players there in the class so far. Uh, Adam, uh, again, like Eric said, thanks again for joining us for the second time. We really appreciate it. Uh, we had uh, Keon Burnett, uh, four-star tight end, on the show last week right after he committed to Arizona, one of the biggest commits they've gotten in a couple of years, really. Um, in terms of rankings, he's the best recruit Arizona's landed during the Jed Fish era, and then, which, you know, to say the least. What are your overall thoughts on Keon? Outstanding prospect. Um, I think that visit over the summer – really changed his mind. And I think we're going to talk about other players from Anaheim Servite coming up here in a little bit. But he is a kid who can be a flex tight end. He could be a big wide receiver. You can move him all around the offense and use him in different ways. And there's a clip of him. And if people haven't seen it, go to YouTube and Keon Burnett, do a Keon Burnett DK Metcalf search. And obviously he doesn't look like DK Metcalf physically, but there is a play from last season where the guy strips the ball, starts running down the field. Burnett from about the end zone tracks him down about 90 yards. And to just, the, just to have that motivation, that level of competitiveness, that speed is exactly what Arizona is going to need on their offense. He has great hands. He's a flex tight end. 
And in the Pac-12, that's going to be perfect. USC really wanted him, really wanted to keep him. They couldn't after that visit. And I think he's going to be a big addition to Arizona that could step on the field early. Like you said, we're, we're not done talking about the Servite guys. Uh, as big a commit as Arizona got with Kean uh, landing his teammate, a uh, wide receiver. I'm going to butcher his first name again. Uh, Tedaroya McMillian. McMillan. He'd be considered even a, an even bigger get uh, based on rivals recruiting rankings. Uh, it looks like his final three, he doesn't really have an official final three, but it looks like it's down to Arizona, USC, and Oregon. What makes yeah. him special? And do you have an idea of, of what he's going to end up deciding here in a few days? Yeah, T-Mac. That's, he goes by T-Mac. Everybody calls him T-Mac. That's what he just responds to. So it is down to those three. Um, I actually think it's USC or Arizona right now. I I, I, Oregon is definitely in it. I wouldn't count them out, but I just get the sense that it's Arizona and USC. Um, and I would not be shocked if it was Arizona here. And, and here's why. Two of his teammates are already committed, his quarterback uh, and another wide receiver tight end on the team. He is a kid that doesn't really get into like the big time recruiting stuff. He's not a guy that's kind of just chasing all the offers. He's definitely a unique player. And here's an example. I talked to him during the pandemic in the spring. And I said, who, who, are, who are your top teams? Who do you like? I, we haven't really talked a lot. He doesn't really respond to phone messages or Twitter messages or really anything. You could only talk to him in person most of the time. And he said, I don't even know. I, he said, I was in Hawaii for the last month and I didn't even have my phone with me. So definitely a different kind of guy, not a guy that's just con constantly on social media and doing that thing. Um, that visit to Arizona this, this summer with his parents, you know, their mothers were there. They lo absolutely loved it. I think that is certainly a draw to get him there. And I think just selling him on, you know, being the superstar that could, you know, turn around an Arizona program that he obviously liked that visit a whole lot and that they could get him the ball all the time. So sort of taking Servite to Tucson is definitely a big draw. Um, but but obviously USC is right there as well. And turning them down has been difficult. It was difficult for Keon Burnett, although he flipped. Um, staying close to home, staying close to the beach, which is important. You know, all of those kinds of things for TMAC are going to be factors. So right now, if I had to guess, I would say USC has a slight edge, but I don't even think USC knows exactly right now what's going on. What's your take on Noah Fafita, who's TMAC and Keon Burnett's quarterback, He's 5'10", so he's not the tallest. And we've had him on Wildcat Country before. Very good kid. Is this a guy who can start, in your opinion, right away in college? So this is a tough ranking, and it's a tough evaluation because on the field, Fafita is phenomenal. Um, but 5'10 is incredibly generous, I would say, in terms of how tall he is. Um, I'm about 5'9", and we're eye-to-eye, -eye, if not he's a little shorter. So, um, but the problem, that's, that's the one thing. So when, you know, I had the same problem with Bryce Young, but he's phenomenal and a big time playmaker. And so the, the thing that I like about it is that Jed Fish wants him. He obviously knows quarterbacks. He knows how to develop them and get the ball out. Um, but this is going to have to be a situation where Arizona fans are going to see Noah Fafita and he is not big. Um, so he's not going to get, I don't think he's going to be get much bigger. It's not like he's going to sprout to six feet, six one overnight. So this is something where the offense is going to have to be tailored to his height, to getting outside of the pocket a little bit more, to kind of rolling out and throwing on the run, all things that he does incredibly well. He's most comfortable doing those kinds of things. 
probably because he can't see over the offensive line all that much and he wants kind of vision down the field. So will he be a mid-level four-star? Probably not just because of the risk that that entails and playing in the Pac-12 and projecting into that. But he is a kid that has the talent, the arm talent, the accuracy, the leadership. People listen to him. He's a, a great teammate, a likable kid, all the things. He's, he can pick up an offense very quickly. All the things that you want from a quarterback that's young like that, but you're going to have to swallow the fact that he is very undersized at the position and Jed Fish is going to have to work with him in, in terms of that as to how the offense runs. Yeah, because when you think about a pro-style offense, having a, a, a smaller quarterback, now look at Kyler Murray at Oklahoma. This is spread offense and it actually worked. But how does, how does a smaller quarterback in the Russell Wilson, Kyler Murray, and I know Wilson's taller than Murray, but how does that work in a pro-style fit? It's going to be interesting to see. And, and you know, I, I, I kind of tend, you know, football has become almost positionless now in the sense that an edge rusher, is that a defensive end or an outside linebacker? A, a nickel corner, is that a cornerback or a safety? Uh, uh, you know, you, you watch the NFL and even a lot of college football now, you know, Alabama has two down linemen, seven standing, four blitzing from the back. I mean, all of those things. And now on offense, that's becoming similar too. You run a pro-style offense, which means that there are, there are pro-style tendencies. There's blocking tendencies and those kinds of things. But you could still re, you know, run, you know, read option from a pro-style system. You could have, you know, flex guys. You could have the quarterback running from pro-style. The, the old style of, you know, Urban Meyer's offense, he's always said that his offenses are, are all pro-style offense, the pro-style you know, kind of definition of a pro-style offense in terms of how they block and how they see the offense. But he always had his quarterback in shotgun. He always had, you know, motion guys. It's not just, you know, the old style of quarterback under center, two wide receivers, a tight end, and, and two guys in the backfield. So that's not what we're going to see. I think if, if that's the discussion, um, Fafita would not be really suited to what that offense would look like. But I think in terms of those kinds of things and in terms of what they're looking for, getting the ball out quickly, read option, uh, getting guys in motion, having guys flex out while still having sort of pro-style pro tendencies um, is what the offense would probably look like. Adam, uh, Jed Fish obviously put together a, a, quite a coaching staff, uh, and it seems to have paid off recruiting-wise. Uh, Jordan Powpow obviously leading the way to get Kean Burnett. What assistants on Jed Fish's staff have really stood out to you the most as far as being able to really recruit well in terms of already getting commits or getting guys interested who might not otherwise have been interested in a school like Arizona? Yeah, and that's the thing. That's the one thing that's important here is having the head coach is, is, in, is incredibly important. But he really is like the closer. You know, he's the guy that really closes and, and does that kind of thing. Um, uh, Jordan Pow Pow is definitely super important. Um, he's an aggressive guy that goes after everybody, and he's going to get people. Having Don Brown as your defensive coordinator, you know, kids know the name, obviously, from all of the success he had. Um, even if he's not, you know, in your face out there recruiting, having someone established like that is going to bring in interest on the defensive side of the ball. Brennan Carroll is a guy with a lot of connections um, who's going to bring interest. Jimmy Doherty is going to be a guy that um, has, you know, connections throughout the Pac-12. 
all down the line, Scotty Graham at running back. So all those guys um, and more, what Jed Fish has done, what really good coaches do um, is they become the closer and then their position coaches, they bring in high profile guys who are super competitive and want to go after people and aren't going to take a back seat to anybody and will lose a lot of recruiting battles, but you, you don't need to win them all. So um, you win some of them, you get some really talented players in there and you, and you start turning the program around that way. There's definitely energy that wasn't there before. There's definitely sort of a new vision that might not have been there before. And there's assistant coaches there, high, some high profile names, some guys with a lot of years under their belt and guys that will go out and recruit to Tucson. I feel, getting back to the quarterback position, I feel that Arizona's 2022 starter is not currently on the roster. And I know you touted Gunnar Cruz earlier this spring, but I know there will be some other, and we know, let's assume Fafita is not ready to start day one. I know there are some guys that might be available on the transfer market, and one that went to my high school, albeit I'm quite a bit older, is Jack Miller at Ohio State. Can you think of any other guys that maybe Arizona fans, and I know this is kind of a weird question to ask, might want to keep an eye on as far as transfer quarterbacks with ties to the state of Arizona over the next year. Yeah, that's that's going to be interesting because the transfer portal has become something um, that is that is undoubtedly going to be important to all to all schools, and it really has affected um, it really has affected how people recruit the position, not only quarterback but across the board. Um, there have been teams that, um, you know, have talked about, um, you know, reserving spots for for guys just because they don't want to fill up their spots with um, with high school kids. So that's going to be very tricky. Um, you know, I think Miller is one that I would watch very, very closely. And here's why he's just not going to win the job at Ohio state. There's just no, there's all, I, I don't want to say no chance, but um, CJ Stroud looks like the day one starter. Uh, after that, Quinn Ewers did not go to Ohio state early to sit on the bench for two or three years. Um, and then Kyle McCord is another guy who they, they have there um, who they like very, very much and sort of recruited over Miller. So those are all sort of situations that lead me to believe that Jack Miller is, is leaving. And some people have said um, leaving sooner than possibly this season. Jordan McLeod, I believe, is coming in. That's going to be an interesting situation. Um, but it is interesting how the transfer portal has changed recruiting. So many kids go into it now that it – it's not like half of high school recruiting, but it is something that coaches have to monitor so closely that, you know, there are schools out there that have a guy whose entire job is to refresh the transfer portal page because one, they want to, they want to save about 10, 15, 20% of their recruiting class for transfer guys. And second of all, they know that this is going to stay big. And so they want guys with some college experience uh, and and especially regional ties to get in there. And I think Jack Miller is definitely a very, very interesting name to keep an eye on. 
Gotta love those Chaparral kids. So that's why I had to bring that up being a, a Chaparral alumnus myself. <laughs> Looking at Arizona's uh, recruiting class thus far, guys that have committed for 2022, other than Burnett and, and Fafita and the Servite kids that we've talked about, who's your favorite uh, among the other commits that we should kind of keep an eye on? Yeah, I think there are two that really, really stand out to me. On the on offense, um, well, he's an athlete, so I think he can go either way, but I probably think he's going to be on offense is Jonah Coleman. He's a kid that doesn't show up to a lot of camps and a lot of events, but on film he is super fast, awesome in space, breaks tackles, scores touchdowns, the things that I think Pac-12 football really kind of stand for in a lot of ways, and I think he's going to be very, very good. Zeke Berry on defense um, could definitely be argued as a four-star prospect. Um, he was excellent at the opening when we saw him, just a playmaker on the back end. So obviously well, very well coached at the high school level um, is going to come to Arizona. You know, they beat out a lot of schools for Barry. I think he was actually under-recruited in terms of Pac-12 schools getting involved. So I think those two guys especially can come in pretty early and make a big, big impact for, the, for Arizona. Uh, Adam, you mentioned on our when we had you on a few months ago that you thought Gunnar Cruz actually might be the our, our opening day starter for the Wildcats uh, as, a, as opposed to Jordan McLeod, who I think a lot of people think might be the guy. Do you still feel that way? You think Gunnar Cruz will be the starter in the, when they uh, open the season against BYU? Yeah, probably not. I mean, I, you know, you take a shot and, and see kind of how that works out. Um, it's, I, you know, it's definitely a position, I think, that I don't want to say a quarterback's going to get yanked early, but if things aren't working well, I don't think someone is so entrenched at the position that, that they can't make a move. And I, and I think that's the way it's going to work. I think Gunnar Cruz is a very, very talented player, um, can throw it all over the place. Uh, if he doesn't win the job, I would not be surprised by any means. But, um, you know, I, I think it's going to be interesting to see how Jed Fish handles the position in terms of how much leeway he gives the quarterbacks, in terms of how patient he is with those guys, and in terms of um, you know how much success they have versus if they don't, how, how fast someone gets yanked. That's a tricky situation. You don't want to lose the locker room, and you don't want to look like you're second-guessing yourself, especially as a first-year head coach. So some guys stay with the guy, even though it's far beyond, you know, where they should be. Some guys go in and have, you know, the quick trigger to, to pull the guy out. So I think that could go either way. I wouldn't be shocked, um, you know, to see those guys kind of, you know, change hands if things don't go well really quickly. Last question for you, Adam. Again, we appreciate your time. Uh, we do have some Wildcat fans who are just as obsessed with our rivals to the North as they are their own school. And I want to ask how you think um, all the off-field news has impacted Arizona State's recruiting, and if at all, and how do you think it will impact the recruiting efforts going forward? Yeah, I think it's a little too early to say there, but I will say that, you know, having three guys now on administrative leave, you know, a lot of guys like that and Brenneman a whole lot on that staff. Prentice Gill was a guy that went out and recruited very, very hard for them. But I do think Chris Hawkins is is the biggest one there. And I'm not going to say that they're not going to be there. I don't know what the investigation is going to, to, to turn. Um, but I will say I would not be surprised at all if there are many decommitments if those guys are not back on staff. I think 
a lot of people, especially in Southern California, know Chris Hawkins, not only because he's um, a great coach and, and especially recruiter, but his father is Armand Hawkins, who runs the Ground Zero 7-on-7 team. And so there is a familiarity there that um, goes far beyond just going to campus and liking it. So if Chris Hawkins is not there, that is definitely going to hurt recruiting. Um, I have not seen, uh, you know, a flood of decommitments at this point, but I can tell you from talking to, you know, coaches, seven on seven coaches and kids out here, people are closely watching, uh, what this, what, what the outcome is here and how that thing gets overturned in, in, in terms of, does it necessarily help Arizona? That's unclear. I think a lot of the, I don't think a lot of those kids from California, are exactly going to Arizona State because they love, you know, the warm weather or or, or whatever. Uh, I think they're going there because of the coaches and the opportunity to get on the field. So it could certainly it wouldn't it certainly wouldn't hurt Arizona um, if if that investigation turns up things and things go further south. Um, but it's still a little bit unclear about how much it would possibly help Arizona's recruiting efforts right now. And final question for me, Adam. Right now, Arizona is tied with Duke for 44th, 41st on the 2022 Rivals team recruiting rankings. Look into your crystal ball. Where do the Wildcats end up uh, on that list when it's all said and done? Yeah, you know, I, I would say that range would not be out of the question at all. You had, If you add TMAC, they go up. But the most important thing right now, other than just being fifth in the conference, uh, kind of sandwiched in between Washington and Colorado and, and, and where they end up, you know, in December, really in December for that early signing period, you know, they'll add some pieces in February, but really in December is how they play this season. Um, if they look, you know, terrible on the field, then I don't think they can go much higher. If they look very good, if they're competitive in games, I think that first month is going to be important. BYU is going to be an important game. It's not going to be an easy start of the schedule as you know for them. So but once they get into Pac-12 play, if they if they are, you know, moving in the right direction, if the team looks, you know, much better than they did under Sumlin, um, if they can pull off an upset uh, again, then I definitely think that they could move into the 30s um, with with T Mac in the class and then rounding out the class, possibly with some Arizona guys or some guys from California. So I think more than anything, more than looking at team rankings right now, I think the play on the field and where McMillan goes are really the most important things. Well, Adam, I feel like I was just in a class for the last 20 minutes and I learned so much from you. Shane and I both did. So thank you once again for joining us on Wildcat Country. Have a great football season and I'm sure we'll talk to you between now and uh, December or January. Awesome. Thanks, guys, so much. Shane, I'll tell you, the, the future looks really bright. Uh, according to what Adam Gorney said, I mean, the, the positivity around recruiting for Arizona football, I would say outpaces that of Arizona basketball. When is the last time that happened? Well, it's all relative. I mean, if Arizona men's basketball was getting a bunch of high-end three-star guys, we'd, we'd probably be shaking our heads. But for the football team, it's 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 great. And, and if T-Mac, if he commits to Arizona, great. If it's USC... It's that's tough, but again, the fact that he's uh, considered in Arizona this late in the game uh, is great. A couple of other thoughts from the interview. Uh, 
the fact that he, Adam's not quite as sure sure about Gunnar Cruz being the starter as he, maybe he was a couple of months ago. By the way, if you go back and listen to Gunnar Cruz's interview. Go watch it on YouTube on the Arizona Wildcats YouTube channel. It was just three minutes after the first practice. The guy sounds like a ten-year vet. Like it just his presence at the podium. He gives great sound bites, polished sound bites, like the like TV fifteen-second bites that we love back at, at they love on TV. I, I don't know if it's going to translate to anything on the field. I'm just saying the guy sounds like he's been in the NFL for 10 years. So he sounds a lot older than he is. Uh, Adam also noted this first season for Jed Fish is going to be crucial in terms of continuing to gain some of the kinds of commits like uh, Kean Burnett or possibly T-Mac that Arizona doesn't typically get. Uh, in a way, I guess it's almost an advantage for Jed Fish to have no head coaching experience, save for the two games he coached as an interim coach at UCLA. Because he and his staff can talk up the program and tell recruits just how well coached they're going to be and how they're they're going to prove people wrong and help them get to the next level. And there's really nothing to base that on at this point except just the promise of, of, of what what they've you know, put in place. Well, if Arizona's awful in Jed Fisher's first season, you know, I'm talking a one and eleven or two and ten awful, uh, because four or five wins would have to be considered a step in the right direction, then the recruiting trail is likely to get a bit rockier going forward. If Arizona goes four and eight, is competitive in most of its losses, and shows improvement from the beginning to the end of the season, which we agree is super important, that'll be all this staff needs, I think, to convince future four-star guys and maybe even a five-star guy here and there that not only are you going to be coached well and have a better chance to play in the NFL if you come to Arizona, but you'll have a chance to win too and be, like Keon Burnett told us, a part of something even better than what Arizona was during the Desert Swarm era. That's a little ways off, but if Arizona has that kind of season, that four, maybe five win season with a, you know, with a lot of upside, then that that good recruiting could continue in the future and even get better going forward. Yeah, and that's very true. That's very true. I just want to point something out. I know we haven't even started 2021. I brought this up to a couple of the recruits, I believe. But when you look at Arizona's non-conference schedule next year, it's eye-opening. Uh, I just, you know, just want to point this out. I know it's early. We'll probably talk. I'll probably talk about this, you know, seven more times between now and then. They they open at San Diego State in a stadium that I just drove by that will be brand new. It'll be the first game uh, September 3rd next year. Then they come home to face Mississippi State. And you're like, okay, Mike Leach, that's going to be tough. But then, Shane, I mean, this is a game that I would probably cancel if I was Jed Fish in Arizona. They face North Dakota State who is uh, one of the best uh, 1AA teams, F FCS teams, I guess was what it's called. Uh, I mean, they won, what, five straight titles before last year? Why would you I cancel mean, that game? Because there's no good. It's not like you're going up to North Dakota and playing them. You're not going to get on big TV for, for that game. It's going to be on Pac-12 Network as is. And the only downside, I mean, you, you schedule a patsy. You got, you got nine Pac-12 games. There's no reason to play that game whatsoever. None. In my opinion, I, I think North Dakota State is respected enough to where if it's a close game or even a loss, it wouldn't necessarily be. Like, yeah, but where are you winning a non-conference game? Where are you winning a non-conference at San Diego State, home Mississippi State? You're going to be 0 3. I mean, assuming. So, right? How about we play this season and then see how they shape up going into next season and we could revisit this? Okay, fair. I, I just saw that. I was looking this past weekend and I and I was just like alarmed by it. I was wondering when the Mississippi State series started because they're, they they play, uh, you know, next year and then the following year in Starkville. 
And, you know, with the bells and everything, that'd be a fun road trip to make. I don't know how you get there, but it'd be a fun road trip to make. Uh, I just, it's, it's alarming that that non-conference schedule is probably the most daunting. San Diego State very well could be a top 25 team. Mississippi State could be. And then, and then, you know, North Dakota State could be top five in, in FCS. I mean, that is, you know, for Jed Fish's year two, if I'm him, I'm making some changes, but you're right. Let's talk about uh, the positive things and not the negative before we've even uh, kicked off in 2021. Uh, Shane, before we go, I want to talk a little bit about the Olympics. Uh, pretty good Olympics for Arizona players or former Arizona athletes. Uh, one that I noted, I don't know if you have this one in there, the silver medalist in men's golf with Rory Sabatini uh, went to Arizona. That's one that a lot of people uh, would not have thought about. So a nice uh, men's golf he shot, I think, 10 under or something like that in the last round to, to get there. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, and we got, of course, we got Steve Kerr winning the gold medal, uh, even though it looked shaky to say the least for uh, for men's basketball at the beginning there. Um, by the way, I just got myself a uh, Steve Kerr rookie card graded SGC 10. I'm uh, giving it away for two uh, $2,000 if anyone wants to make an offer. <laughs> uh, Josh Green also got himself a bronze medal with uh, mm -hmm. Team Australia. And then we got uh, Delaney Schnell, uh, diver. She was great. Arizona. Won a she won a silver. Deja Mulipula. Muli, Muli Pola, I told myself I was going to pronounce it right, and I didn't. I failed. Deja Muli Pola got herself a silver medal in softball. Uh, we had a couple other members of the uh, softball team for uh, Mexico, former Wildcats, Daniel uh, uh, O'Toole and uh, Taylor McQuillan uh, just missed on uh, on bronze medals. But uh, good showing for Wildcats in, in Tokyo. Hopefully uh, everyone comes back uh, COVID-free and uh, ready to uh, hopefully take on a new somewhat normal uh, – so sports calendar this season. Isn't it embarrassing that baseball and softball are not going to be in the 2024 Olympics, but they'll be back in 2028 when they're played in LA. Just don't understand how you get rid of sports for, I guess, breakdancing is replacing baseball. And so, I mean, is that not the stupidest thing you've ever heard? And that's and so, just beside the, the softball point. And the on the softball side, it's frustrating too, because you remember the, the ladies got the silver medal and they were devastated. I, against uh, Japan and then they they phased out softball like they did this for this uh for 2024 so they knew not only did they get the silver they weren't going to have a chance to to come back and win the gold in four years and so this team is facing the same thing which is which really stinks but but still happy yeah. to, uh, to, that that some Wildcats are going to bring back some some medals nonetheless that is absolutely true and it will be interesting to see how many Wildcats in 2024 and 2028 will be uh, medalists but Delaney Schnell was got a lot of uh, big TV coverage we had talked about her I know you had mentioned her often in uh, your weekly updates your weekly sports yep. updates so it's pretty cool to see her uh, you know that payoff to, to get that silver medal uh, in in diving not that I understand diving one bit because I don't but uh, good for her. That was uh, made Tucson look great and made the University of Arizona look great. Well, Shane, we have a lot of exciting things coming up on the podcast going forward. We're very glad to be working with our friends from All AZ Sports. Check them out at allazsports.com and find more of our videos on there as well. We have some cool sponsor news coming down the pike in the next few weeks and just a lot of football talk. So really, really excited about that. Thanks to Adam Gorney for joining us. Great to find out more about the future of Arizona football with him. Shane, thanks as always for a great show. For Shane Dale, I'm Eric Cohen. Thanks for listening. And as always, bear down.